We are in the final chapter of Acts, and these are uh, the first 15 verses. This is Acts 28, verses 1 through 15. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Rhegium. The next day, the south wind came up. And on the following day, we reached Putioli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. This is the word of God. Rinalda? Make sure I'm, I'm on mute, muted. Good morning, everyone. Wow. At last, uh, Paul gets to go to Rome. Um, you know, his hopes and his dreams were to go to Rome. But not all of um, Paul's hopes and dreams were realized before he died. Just like Dr. Martin Luther King's Junior didn't get to see his hopes and dreams realized. Um, this week, as Pastor Chuck uh, mentioned, and we all know, we celebrate Dr. King's life and his legacy, um, his enormous efforts in bringing hope and healing to our country. Um, these following words of Dr. King have a great bearing on our message today. He said, very few, if any, of us are able to see all our hopes fulfilled. And he says, this is one of the most agonizing problems of human experience. What does one do under such circumstances? This is a central question, for we must determine how to live in a world where our highest hopes may not be fulfilled. Today's passage, Acts 28, 1 through 15, gives us some answers to this central question that Dr. King asks. But before looking at it, 
uh, we're going to hear an excerpt from two of Dr. King's sermons to contextualize today's message. And then um, through today's message, we'll discover ways to deal with our unfulfilled hopes and shattered dreams. On April 5th, 1959, in Montgomery, Alabama, Dr. King preached a sermon called Unfulfilled Hopes. Now, as I read this excerpt, imagine Dr. King speaking to us today. I don't have the, you know, that rich voice. I don't know if you've ever heard any of the recordings of his sermons, but he was gifted with just this powerful, resonant voice. And he spoke uh, somewhat slower. You know, it, it's not like a lot of uh, our preachers today where we, you know, speak very fast, but he really took his time and allowed the spirit of God to move through the words to, uh, to impart them into those listening. And so I pray that as I read this, the Holy Spirit does that for us. Dr. King begins. Our sermon today brings us face to face with one of the most persistent realities in human experience. Very few people are privileged to live life with all their dreams realized and all of their hopes fulfilled. Who, who here this morning has not had to face the agony of blasted hopes and shattered dreams, Dr. King asks. You know, my biggest hope and dream was um, that my mom would live to be at least 100 years old. We used to talk about it all the time. Um, her dad lived to be almost 104. But mom left her earthly body to be with the Lord five months before her 94th birthday. And I experienced not only the agony of uh, losing my mother, but the agony of blasted hopes and shattered dreams of her living to be a hundred years old, at least. And I know some of you, you know, you, you could share agonies of blasted hopes and shattered dreams as well. But back to Dr. King's sermon, he invokes the Negro slaves of America longed for freedom with all their passionate endeavors, but many died without receiving it. Jesus, he prayed in the, the garden of Gethsemane that the cup might pass, but he had to drink it to the last bitter dregs. The apostle Paul prayed fervently for the thorn to be removed from his flesh, but he went to his grave with this desire unfulfilled, shattered dreams, blasted hopes. This is life, Dr. King exclaimed. In another one of his sermons called Shattered Dreams, Dr. King observes, so many of the hopes of our mortal days are unrealized. And he uses Franz Schubert as an illustration. Schubert, the Austrian composer who completed two movements of his Eighth Symphony, 
Dr. King says, each of us like Schubert begins composing a symphony that is never finished. And then he adds, there's much truth in George Fred Frederick Watts's imaginative portrayal of hope in his painting entitled Hope. Let me take a minute to, to look at it. Dr. King says he, he depicts hope as seated atop our planet, but her head is sadly bowed and her fingers are plucking one unbroken harp string. Who has not had to face the agony of blasted hopes and shattered dreams? What does one do under such circumstances? Let's take a look at our passage, Acts 28, verses 1 through 15, and see what Paul did. Um, this passage takes place in around 60 AD, but let's first put this passage into the context of Paul's blasted hopes and shattered dreams. In 57 AD, Paul wrote to Roman believers in Romans 15, 23 to 24. And he says, since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain and I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. We see here that Spain, was a hope and a dream of uh, Paul's. Now, Spain was then a Roman colony where many Jewish people lived, and it was the Western limit of the empire, uh, the ends of the earth to them, so to speak. Paul hoped to visit the Roman believers while passing through to Spain. Now, apparently, you know, he didn't plan to, to stay in Rome long. Um, he wanted believers to assist him on his journey to Spain. This was Paul's plan. This was his hope. This was his dream. Now notice what happens to Paul's virtuous dream and vibrant hope, the hope that grasped his heart. Dr. King points out he never got to Rome in the sense that he had hoped he went there only as a prisoner and not as a free man, bound with a chain in the company of a guard, held captive because of his daring faith in Jesus Christ. Paul never got to Rome, uh, to Spain. He got to Rome as a prisoner, but he never got to Spain before he died. That hope was blasted, that dream was shattered. Paul's plan three years before our passage begins did not include being a prisoner and wrongly accused, headed for a trial in Rome. His plan didn't include a shipwreck and being bitten by a poisonous snake. His plan wasn't a three-month stay on the island of Malta. The agonies of blasted plans and hopes. So what does Paul do 
under such circumstances. Willie James, Willie James Jennings describes what he does. He says, Paul's humanity is beautifully on display in this scene as he does the ordinary work of gathering brushwood for the fire. The disciple, the prophet of God, the man dramatically fighting for his life through a problematic legal system, innocent of the charges being brought against him. The one who has already testified to the high and mighty and will do so again in Rome. That Paul gathers wood for the fire. Paul is, after all, simply a servant. I love that. Jennings says he, he's simply a servant. And we see not just a servant, but a humble servant. A humble servant whose plans didn't work out. His hope unfulfilled. What does he do? He serves. One of the ways to get rid of the blues is to go out and do something for someone. <laughs> but the primary reason that Paul served was because he was a servant of Christ. That's how he saw himself. In Romans 1.1, Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul identified himself first as a servant of Jesus Christ. Do you identify yourself as a servant of Jesus Christ? A servant belongs to his, her master. Paul willingly belonged to Christ out of love for him and Christ's love for him. We love Christ because he loved us first. Paul served as his loving master Jesus served. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul served with the servant heart of his master, Jesus. He didn't let his disappointment, unfulfilled hope, shattered dreams stop him from serving. Luke tells us in chapter 28, verse 3, that Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, dried twigs and branches. And as he put it, it on the fire, a viper, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat, fastened itself on Paul's hand. What does Paul do? He shakes it off into the fire like it's no big deal. But to the islanders, the snake is a huge deal. They say in verse four, this man must be a murderer for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Seeing that Paul was bitten by the snake, the islanders concluded he was a murderer, now getting justice. And when Paul is unaffected by the snake bite, they change their minds and say, he's a god. A fickle extreme our human judgments can be of others, right? 
So why does God allow the snake bite? Why does he allow a snake to bite his servant, Paul? Show how we're so often wrong in our judgments of others? Could be. But for sure, God uses the snake bite miracle to open the door for Paul to minister. And we know minister means to serve. Now, Publius, the leading official of Malta, most likely heard about the snakebite miracle, word gets around. So he welcomes Paul and Luke into his home. Luke is an eyewitness to everything written in this passage. Paul finds out Publius's father is sick in bed with a fever and dysentery. Biblical scholars ascertain that it was most likely Malta fever, which typically lasts about four months. In 1887, researchers found um, the cause of Malta fever was a microorganism in Maltese goat's milk. But God healed his father through Paul. Word spread, all the sick in the island came, they were prayed for and healed. Imagine that, you know, I was just picturing what that must have been like the lines, you know, and I, and I thought about like even Jesus when people heard about him being there and how it packed the room that he was in and uh, the friends of this um, invalid, you know, wanted to get in to see Jesus to be healed and ends up going through the roof, you know, just to get in to see Jesus. And it's kind of like, you know, word got around. Oh my goodness. Did you hear, you know, uh, Paul, Paul healed, um, Publius's father, oh, I would have gone be healed too. And then as people are getting healed, more and more people are coming and the lines, I mean, you know, and I thought about the, the lines even today with, um, you know, COVID for whatever, you know, whether it's testing or whatever it is, but what a sight. But what I see in that is the power of God, the spirit of God moving. It was God who healed through Paul. And we know, you know, God, uh, Paul didn't take credit for that. You know, he was testifying and he was um, being a witness to Christ through these healings. What a glorious life. So Paul served. He served the Maltese people through healing ministry. Now, we may not have the gift of healing, but God has given each and every one of us a gift to serve him. Like the gift of hospitality, mercy, leadership, teaching. There's many of them. But you don't need a gift necessarily to serve, even though God says he gives all of us at least one. Not all service requires gifts, like helping someone move. Um, in our WhatsApp chat this past week, um, one of our congregants was asking for help. Uh, they're moving to a, a different location. And one of our congregants said, I can help. That doesn't take a lot of gifting, except I think the person they requested has to be able to drive and be comfortable driving in, in New York City. So. I don't know. I guess that's a gift too. But um, 
you know, running errands, helping somebody. The point is, serve. And that's what Jesus expects of his disciples. We all, you know, most of us are familiar with Jesus watching the disciples' feet, washing the di- watching them. That's interesting. Well, he had he he probably could do it with a, with a blindfold, but um, he washed the disciples' feet. And in John thirteen fifteen to sixteen, Jesus tells them. He says, you know, I have set for you an example that you should do this as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Brothers and sisters, God blesses his servants, not for what they know, but for what they do with what they know. Christian happiness comes through obedient service. So we see here, Despite hopes being dashed and failed human plans and dreams not being realized, Paul served. And in doing so, Paul's life glorified God and brought him joy. You know, we read through different scriptures uh, that Paul wrote, particularly in Philippians, I'm thinking of, where he's always talking about joy, you know, even when he's in prison, you know. That's supernatural. That's, that's a sign of the power of God in his life. And that same spirit in Paul is the same spirit in us. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the spirit in us. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. How do we live in a, in a world where our highest hopes may not be fulfilled? Well, you know, remembering that that spirit lives in us, God's spirit, spirit of Jesus. And then we do like Paul does. We serve. If we were serving before, um, you know, an unfulfilled hope or dream kind of brings us down, we continue to serve. We don't stop serving like Paul on this island of Malta after a shipwreck. And he serves. And then we got to be flexible, right? Flexible servants. Flexible with our plans. Allow the Lord to establish our steps. Proverbs 16, 9, in their hearts, human, humans plan their course. But the Lord establishes their steps. When our plans don't work out, trust that God has another plan. And that plan is than our best plan. Be a servant and serve. Be flexible with your plans. And trust the Lord has a better plan. And the thing to remember in all of this is that God provides. (laughs) Paul and crew lost just about everything on the shipwreck, but God provided for their needs through the hospitality of the Maltese people. Luke writes in verse 10, they honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, let this fact encourage you. God is faithful to supply 
all our needs. That's what we need to remember in a world where our highest hopes may not be fulfilled. God provides for Paul, though his original plan didn't work out. Paul's original plan, that is. God's plans always work out. After three months of winter in Malta, sailing conditions were better. God provided another ship to continue his journey to Rome. And on his way to Rome, God provided believers to take care of Paul, an entourage of Roman believers who walked 30 to 40 miles to meet him and escort him to Rome. Paul thanked God and was encouraged. God not only provided things Paul needed, he provided people, friends, not just for physical needs, but emotional needs as well. And we, too, must trust God to provide and be available to be one through whom God provides. That's being a servant. When our plans fail, our hopes remain unfulfilled, our dreams shatter. We must continue to be a servant and serve, be flexible with our plans, Trust the Lord has a better plan. And remember that God provides. Doing these things, God blesses me with comfort and hope and joy in the midst of my unfulfilled hope and shattered dreams. Now, Justine is going to share her testimony about how God is working in her uh, life during a season of failed plans and hopes unfulfilled, and dreams not realized. Justine? Thanks, Ronalda. Um, Ronalda asked me to, if I would share um, a little bit about my story as of late with the all of the USCIS drama. And um, really, this is not new to anyone. You've been with me. I think everyone on this call has been with me. Pierce and I all along every step um, of this saga, in case there's someone who's missing some details. Um, uh, so for a little context, I, feel like I'm, I think someone else in the house is listening to me. I was hearing an echo. Um, for a little context, I'm Canadian. I moved to the States in 2018. I came down on a temporary visa and my work, it was always the plan from the beginning that they would sponsor my green card application. So we submitted everything, uh, in December of 2020. And at that time, um, the processing times for, so when you submit your green card application, you submit a request for travel authorization and work authorization, which says like, while we're processing your green card application, you can continue to travel, leave and re-enter the US and to work. And these were supposed to take three to five months. So it's December, 2020, and my visa expires in June, seven months later. So the lawyers are like, we should be fine. And the company I work for used a big immigration law firm. Like they do this all the time. The company I work for does this all the time. So I'm not stressed. I'm grateful. Like it's going to come. Three to five, five months passes. It doesn't come. We're coming up on the expiration of my visa. And uh, 
you know, I remember the week before meeting with various colleagues on projects I'm working on being like, Hey, look, things are taking longer offloading and saying to them, you know, could be a month. Like I could be gone for a month. Um, and I mean, here we are seven months later laughing at that. Um, and so, uh, it, my visa did expire. And in the early days I was, I remember my boss just saying like, try and see this as a blessing. You know, you're on unpaid leave. That's not ideal, but you know, this is time off, like enjoy the city. I went to visit a friend in who had moved to Tampa just try and like enjoy the time off, spend some time like exercising, reading, go, you know, COVID wasn't too bad in the summer months. So I'm just, you know, trying to make the most of it. And God is teaching me little lessons about not finding my worth in my productivity, you know, when you don't have much to do. And then as, as days, weeks, you know, a month later, I'm starting to get stressed because Pierce and I are supposed to get married in, uh, in August in Canada at the end of August. Um, and so at the end of July, basically we had, and I remember I can't leave, not only can I not work, I can't leave the country or I would be forfeiting my whole green card application. So uh, yeah, end of July, we have to make the call that uh, wedding can't happen in Canada. And that was really hard. Um, but God provided, like my immediate family was able to come and they were all there. Um, other family wasn't, and that was hard, but he provided in that. Um, and my sister got married in Canada in October. And it was really looking like I wasn't going to be able to be there. Uh, but God provided, I was able to get... Uh, emergency travel authorization because my grandmother is dying. Um, and it's, it came like the day before we had to travel to get to my sister's wedding. And even through like the pain of my grandmother, just like God's provision that I was able to be there for my sister and she was able to be here for me not here because I'm in Canada now, but in the States, um, he was there, even though the circumstances were not what anybody wanted. Um, another example. So after, after we, Pierce and I got back from our honeymoon, so the timeline's jumping around a little after Pierce and I got back from our honeymoon, then I got really bored, like leading up to there. I mean, I was bored um, and, you know, trying to fill my time and finding things to do, but with wedding planning and then trying to plan a wedding in New York, um, there was kind of enough. But after, after the honeymoon, I was like, okay, I really, I'm going crazy. I need like reading and exercising and grocery shopping. Like it's not enough. So I remember I went on the hope for New York website was like scrolling through the urgent volunteer needs. And I saw one for St. Paul's house. And by that point, like we were already meeting there on Sundays. It's like, perfect. Yeah. I'll check that out. I went the next day and uh, met Eliana and Nico. And it's just, I since found out. So I went and just helped out with their breakfast program. And at the time they said, you know, we have a lot of volunteers on Fridays, but you know, could really use help Monday, Wednesday. I was like, yeah, I have literally nothing to do ever. So I'll be there on Mondays and Wednesdays. Um, 
and really got to know Eliana and Nico quite well um, and would stay and hang out with them afterwards. And that has been a huge blessing, their friendship to me, uh, like in this time. So Eliana and Nico are the resident directors, in case anyone doesn't know them, at St. Paul's house. And I came to find out later, um, months later, that actually they they had really been praying for help. Like I came, I think the week after they had like an intern or they had another friend that had been helping them that was staying here and they left and I showed up like literally the next week. Um, and so just God's provision in all of that, like even when it feels like, like Ronaldo, when you said you were like, God's plan is better. There's definitely a part of me that's like, well, is it, this doesn't feel like better, like better would have felt like, um, you know, my whole family being at my wedding and me not being on unpaid leave for six months. And even now, like, feels like me living in the same country as my husband. That feels, that seems like better. But uh, you're right. Uh, God's plan is better, even when it really doesn't feel that way. And even when we don't see him. So clearly it's still hard. Uh, it's not like, uh, knowing that God's plan is better, it doesn't mean it's not hard, but uh, he is with us and he's teaching me clearly lots of lessons. It's hard to like name lessons. I think all of us can kind of say, it's not like I didn't know that God provides. It's not that I didn't know that he cares for me, but he teaches us lessons through circumstances and struggling. So I know that he's good and that he cares and that he's in control and uh, still praying that, that it will come soon, hopefully very soon. So that is my story. Thank you, Justine, for sharing it and being vulnerable with us. Um, I'm sure Many of us can relate to Justine's testimony. And I just so relate to what you said, Justine, about knowing God's plan is best doesn't mean it's not hard. It is hard. And that's why God pro provides family and community. And um, that's why... We're here with you, for you, Justine, all of us, um, because it is hard and we're not meant to go through this alone. So thank you, Justine. Um, I wanna close uh, this message with words of Dr. King. He said, almost anything that happens to us can be woven into the purposes of God. It may lengthen our cords of sympathy. It may break our self-centered pride. Even the cross, which was willed by wicked men, was woven by God into the redemption of the world. With this faith, we can accept nobly what cannot be changed and face disappointments and sorrow with inner poise. 
we will have the power to absorb the most excruciating pain without losing our sense of hope. We will then know that in life and death, God will take care of us. Then Dr. King quotes Sevilla D. Martin's hymn, which we sang earlier in worship, God will take care of you. Be not dismayed, whate'er be tied. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide. God will take care of you. Through days of toil when heart doth fail, God will take care of you. When dangers fierce your path assail, God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. Let us pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for providing for all our needs. We need your hope, Jesus. Your word tells us we can come to you with that hope that we need and that you won't disappoint us. When things look hopeless, when things are hard, Help us, help us to hope in you. You died to give us hope so we could live forever with you, forgiven and free. But you also provide a way each day for us to live above our failed plans and unfulfilled hopes and shattered dreams. Your spirit lives in us as your children and followers. Help us never forget that. Let your hope lift us up, Lord. Give us comfort and hope and joy. And help us continue to serve you. Help us to be flexible with our plans. Help us to trust that you have a better plan even though it doesn't look like it. And help us to remember that you provide. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. And now um, we're going to prepare for communion. So, um, if you don't have your elements, um, you can take a moment to go and get them. Before Jesus died on the cross, he had a final meal with his friends, the disciples. He took the bread and wine they were having with supper. And he used them as symbols to represent himself in death. Let us take a moment to remember. Remember the cost of his sacrificial love for us. 
reflect on that love, to repent and confess our sins and be forgiven and given thanks. <laughs>